it's time for Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400, WDWS Champaign Urbana, where we talk all things Illini along with other area national sports. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. You can also email us at talk at wdws.com. Now, here are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with you until 11 o'clock this morning on a Saturday morning, getting a little bit dark here in central Illinois. We've got 64 degrees, some showers in the forecast. Mr. Tate, how you doing this morning? Good, good. Let's go with it. we got a lot of stuff today. we got six guests. got six guests, plenty to talk about, and batting leadoff on our program today in our lineup is Associate Athletic Director of the U of I, Kent Brown. Good morning, KB. Good morning. You've got to have somebody strong at the top of the, the uh, batting order. With speed. Strong and speed, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk to uh, Kent a little bit about uh, Josh Whitman's announcement yesterday of uh, the return of student-athletes to campus beginning as early as June 3rd. So that's only, what, 10 days or so away. And tell us how that's going to work, KB. Yeah, so, you know, this has been a, a, a plan that's been really in the, in the works for several weeks, probably back into April. Um, our sports medicine staff, uh, Randy Ballard, he's our director of sports medicine, uh, Jeremy Bush, who's our head football trainer, really led the, the effort here to work a, 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 work, a plan that keeps safe, that uh, does a lot of testing, um, and continues to test. You know, it's kind of a pilot for this might be able to be used even when students return to campus uh, this fall on how to do this because testing is going to be such an important part of it. But so starting sometime in early June, um, you know, it could be as early as the third, could be a few days after that. Kind of, you know, there's a little, there's a lot of moving parts to this plan, and as we all know, as uh, we've gone through this for the last two and a half months, it's, there's been a lot of moving parts to this whole process. But um, players will start coming in in waves um, because of the intake uh, procedures that are going to be in place, protocols, including um, a, a quarantine uh, time, depending on where that person has been and what they've been doing, a questionnaire of who they've been around, have they been exposed, um, a test uh, at, the, at the very front end um, to that hopefully, you know, comes back negative. And then after that quarantine period is over, they can return to maybe their their apartment or their campus housing uh, unit that they've been using. So they're going to start bringing them in a way because you only, you only handle so many people at a time at one day. Um, so they'll probably in, you know bring these people in, all these players in over several days and uh, try to get them back on campus. And then when they're here, um, they'll, they'll be tested at least weekly. Um, uh, moving forward, uh, maybe biweekly depends on you know everybody's situation. Um, they'll be every day they they enter the facility. Uh, say they come to work out at the Smith Center every day. They would have their own entrance. The players would, and they would have their temperature checked, their oxygen level checked. Um, they have a short questionnaire of what they've been doing since the last time they were in the building. Um, the staff um, 
uh, who is really working with them on a, on a uh, day-to-day basis. That's the strength and conditioning staff, the sports medicine staff. Um, we'll also have a an equipment staff. Uh, we'll also have a special, maybe their own entrance to the building that they'll be tested. And they'll also have a temperature check and a oxygen level and things like this to kind of keep track. So a lot of data is going to be co- uh, co- uh, collected over those over those weeks. And as the summer goes along, um, you know, we'll hopefully get everybody back as, as many people as we can. I know the, the plan is to football and men's basketball will be the first sports that will be um, brought back to campus. <clears throat> and then women's basketball, soccer, and um, uh, volleyball will be the next group. And um, and then they'll keep moving forward uh, to, you know, shooting for that the start of school to get everybody back here and tested and, and set up and ready to go. So a lot of uh, a lot of moving parts, a lot of uh, changing protocols as we go through it. And I'm sure we'll learn a lot as we do it. But it's, it's exciting to know that we've got the we're starting down this down this road to bring people back on campus. Well, one thing, Kent, that appears. Uh important in this is that you're going to have a positive test somewhere sometime along the line it's going to happen and you're prepared uh, to not have everything just shut down when that happens as happened with the NBA as soon as they got a positive test it was over but now I I think that we all realize there will be and and you just have to uh, you have to bounce back from that and keep on going isn't that correct yeah, so you know, you remember back on when that test in the NBA happened. I think that day was maybe March 11th, um, and and there was so little known about the, about the virus, and, and um, no one knew, right? No one knew the seriousness, how it was going to affect people, how um, how it was transmitted, how it was. It just there was so little information about it at that time that you know the NBA just immediately shut everything down. So. We've had a couple of months. I think the health officials have um, certainly dealt with in the community. In our communities, have dealt with um, positive tests and, and the best way to handle them. Um, you know, I think what we've seen is that the hospitals haven't been overrun, right? So they they figured out that maybe the best way to handle these tests or these positives is to isolate them and, and let them uh, go through the process at home, unless it gets to a serious point when they would be hospitalized. Um, so especially, uh, and it, and it does affect everybody from all ages. So I'm not saying that, but it seems not to affect, you know, uh, younger people as hard as older people. And so, um, there's a plan in place, very detailed plan on how to, uh, isolate and treat, um, a positive test and then to do tracing, you know, who they've been around. Um, I, I was amazed. I, I looked through the draft of the, of the plan and it's, it's a significantly uh, <laughs> long plan with a lot of detail and uh, seemingly tried to think of every scenario to do it, but to be safe, right? I mean, that's what everybody wants is safety and, and uh, to lower the chances that it gets that it spreads. And so uh, to answer your question, yes, there's a plan to, to isolate and to treat and then to trace and, and check those people that, they, that that positive was around if, if we end up with one. Uh, Kent, uh, let's uh, make the point. These are voluntary. Anybody who does this and feel like he wants to even take the chance of coming back, I guess, doesn't have to. I mean, this is voluntary in June. But when when does the voluntary end and the actual practices, would you say, uh, start? 
Well, as Josh said yesterday uh, during his press conference, this is this will be a summer that the uh, man the word mandatory will not be used. <laughs> I mean, it's just not. I mean, it, it normally, uh, you know, there's there's a voluntary period where they're all working out, and they're doing their individual stuff, and then there's a mandatory where uh, they start doing team organized activities, and um, um, and that's not going to be the case with the student athlete to come back. If there's someone who doesn't feel comfortable, um, they're certainly going to be given that right to to remain home. Uh, their scholarship level would not change. Um, there's even you know we set up a, a third party that if they felt they weren't being listened to or or being treated fairly, they could go to so that. It, they, uh, you know, maybe takes the athletic department and the coaching staff out of the picture to, to discuss their concerns. So, um, yeah, Josh made it very clear, and he's been very clear. I've been in on meetings uh, with some of the Zoom meetings with coaches, and very clear that the expectation is that if if a athlete chooses not to return on their own volition, that it's not going to be held against them. This is not the this is not the time to to hold them to that to that standard at this point. So um, let's, you know, I, and I've, I think I feel confident in our coaches to be able to follow through on that. Another couple of minutes with Kent Brown, Associate Athletic Director. You know, you're in a business, Josh Whitman's in the, a business of long range thinking you've got to do that, but this is kind of a situation where you almost have to put blinders on and take this uh, baby steps at a time. And we're, we're inside really a hundred days of the scheduled start of the football season, yet we're just looking at a, a, almost a week and a day at a time, right? Yeah, and you know, as, as from from the very start of the of the pandemic, I mean, things changed so fast. I mean, things were changing every 15 minutes. It seemed like those first few days, and then it's changing every day, and then it's you know slowed down to maybe changing weekly. You know, so things are kind of uh, you know in a point where we're we're still changing a lot of stuff, and there's still a lot of movement. Um, but you know you do have to have a plan moving forward. There's a there's a group on campus in the in the athletic department uh, working on you know what games could look like um, if we return to uh, play on the field and in, this, in the arena uh, this fall, uh, which we all hope is going to happen. But we do have to have a plan, and that could mean uh, fewer fans. That could mean no fans. That could mean you know, there's a lot of different scenarios that are there, and so. We've got a group that's working on that. And Josh said yesterday, you know, it's, it's a great point. The list of areas that you have to cover is really long. It's from from the parking lots to tailgating to the Grange Grove to ticket takers to concessions to the to the um, you know the hallways at the stadium to the press box to the locker room to the sidelines uh, the the ushers. You know, it, there's there's just a lot of different areas that have to be have a plan in place. Uh, depending on what direction we end up going. And I think we're a little ways away yet um, from, you know, knowing exactly what the plan is going to be uh, in terms of, uh, you know, what they're going to give us to, to work around. But it's we're at least having those conversations to have something, uh, some ideas of what we're going to be doing when we get there. Uh, uh, what is your relationship in this whole regard with the administration? I mean, obviously they approve of what you're doing, but, do you get any idea what they're planning to do in the fall? Well, Josh is Josh is part of the uh, the chancellor's uh, committee that uh, meets on a regular basis to talk about what's going on. They understand the the, the role of athletics. They also understand that uh, there's a lot of interest in athletics. That everything that happens in athletics gets 
a lot of of, uh, of coverage, gets a lot of uh, you know attention, and so they want to. They're part of that. Josh is certainly a, a a big part of that conversation on a regular basis. Um, you know, we don't know what we're doing uh, yet. I think we all hope that we'll have people back, um, but those are discussions that are being held on a regular basis as they as they work through it. And, um, hopefully soon we'll we'll be able to have some some direction. I know that the chancellor, uh, like I said, the chancellor and his staff are are uh, communicating regularly with all the different units on campus about uh, what the plans are going to be. So, and as far as be, your uh, uh, something we're all watching. As far as your connection with other conferences, I see the Big 12 and Pac-12 are actually starting a few days later than than the Big 10. I mean, you have a June 1 opportunity, but it's uh, you, and you're starting June the 3rd. I see where some of them aren't starting till the 15th, actually, uh, in June to, to bring it back. So you're probably in the in the front of this thing, aren't you? Probably a little bit, but you know, it's it's every every area is different, right? So. In, in the Big Ten, there's 14 teams in 11 different states. Every state is in a different situation. Nebraska and Iowa seem to be, you know, in a different role than than Illinois. Uh, Wisconsin, Indiana, different than maybe Illinois. Michigan's maybe in a different spot. New Jersey, where Rutgers and and Pennsylvania or Penn State. So everybody's in a different <laughs> different spot of what they're able to do and how they're able to uh, kind of restart um, a lot of the things that we normally do. So. Um, you know, the West Coast and the Pac-12 may be a little bit behind because for other reasons. But um, I know that every day, and Josh has talked about this a lot, he, you know, every day the ADs have been talking every morning. Uh, Commissioner Warren's been a part of that. They they all are in great communication right now of, of what everybody's doing to try to keep things equitable but also bounce ideas on the best way to make things happen. So has your sports information staff and yourself been busier during these uh, last couple of months than a normal springtime, even though there's been no competition? Well, nothing will be uh, will be busier than when competitions are going on because that's that's the basis of what we do is cover those events and, and whether it's through social media or posting on our website or covering the events in person or whatever we're doing. But, uh, you know, we've, we've stayed very busy. We, we've uh, tried to coordinate a lot of of uh, media uh, opportunities with student athletes and coaches and others, uh, staff members uh, throughout the last two and a half months uh, to, to make those, to, to get some stories out there. We've done a lot of work with our social media staff to continue providing content and stay engaged with our fans. A lot of, I tell you what, we've been doing a lot of meetings and a lot of it's planning meetings, right? So meetings on, you know, what we're going to do when we come back. Because at some point, you know, it moved from, reacting to what had happened to at some point knowing we were going to we were going to have to have a plan in place to come back so a lot of talk and a lot of discussion on on what we do um as we as we come back and um and so we've all stayed busy and, I, and I've, I've encouraged my staff to make sure they get their you know things that they would normally be pushing off to maybe later in the summer to get that stuff done uh because when we go back to the office and and, and our my staff will probably be one of the last groups to go in uh, actually, in, in the office, whatever that plan will be, it'll probably be late July, I would think. Um, you know, when we go back, it's going to be go, man, go, as in terms of uh, Ron Zook. Uh, it's <laughs> it's going to be off and, off and running, uh, and and uh, it'll be it'll be really hectic. And so we need to have kind of have our 
uh, our plan in order when we get back to back to work. We'll let you go real quick in, we'll, in the office. But we do have a call from Jerry in Savoy for Kent Brown. Go ahead, Jerry. <clears throat> Hi, I'll make this quick. Uh, my question is: Let's say we have the best case scenario and we get the football underway. You got a game coming up, and uh, the one of your players tests positive. Does that mean the whole team then would have to be quarantined for two weeks to see if anybody else gets it so you wouldn't even be able to play the game anyway? You'd have to forfeit it because uh, with a hundred and some players, it's bound to happen that one of them is going to have, well, let's say a girlfriend that may be out doing something and she would catch it and give it to him. And I just don't see uh, a possibility that we're going to go through a season if we have one that somebody's not going to test positive. Yeah, those are all great questions, and those are things that, um, you know, I think I'll be honest with you. I'm most familiar with our plan as we to, to reopen, and, and haven't gotten to the what the plan will be once we get into into the season. But I know that our sports medicine staff has got some ideas on how to isolate and and continue testing and test everybody around that person and. Um, you know, to, to make sure it's safe. Our, our first priority is obviously the safety of our student athletes. And, uh, and so, and, and our, and everybody who's around the staff and the coaches and, uh, our fans, our media, whoever's at a game is, is our first priority. But I think that, uh, you know, those, that sports medicine staff, the testing is going to be just critical, uh, throughout the year as they, they do that on a regular basis to make sure that, um, you know that 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 person who, when if they do test positive, is is isolated and removed from the group as soon as possible to to try to limit the exposure. Kent, you mentioned your staff. You're losing a key guy on your staff. Derek Neal is leaving after what 16 years on the the staff covering yeah, various was, sports. He was with us two years as an intern and in the last 16 years as a full-time staff member. Uh, extremely valuable uh, young guy who. Uh, at the forefront when um, our when social media first started, the Twitter and, and, and Instagram and Facebook, and started taking off, and especially in the sports world, Derek was at the right place at the right time, and really pushed us to get started in, in that uh, area. And so he's he's run our Twitter accounts and, and Instagram accounts for men's basketball and football uh, since the very beginning, and um, and has been instrumental in planning for all our sports with that. And he's worked with football, he's worked with baseball, he's worked with many different sports, gymnastics over time, uh, and just a workhorse, just a, a great young guy. And I'm uh, excited for uh, Derek and Emily. Uh, Derek will be moving to Carl, working the communication staff there. They have uh, one young son uh, who's about who's three, and then they have another one on the way in October. And, and this business can be really hard on young families. The hours are not great. Weekends and evenings are uh, when we're kind of our busiest, and so... I'm excited about them for their family, and, and we're definitely going to miss Derek. So it's going to be a, a big hole to fill um, moving forward. But uh, that's just what happens in this business. Young people get opportunities and, and take advantage of them. So uh, good for good for Derek, bad for us. Yeah, we wish him the best. And one more thing, happy birthday to you tomorrow. My goodness, yes. <laughs> Was it 57? 47, 37? <laughs> yeah, crazy, Lauren. I, I knew you when I was seven. <laughs> <laughs> I've been, I've been read. I started reading you when I was about seven or eight years old, and here I am, uh, yeah. fifty-seven, going to be. And I, I still read your thing. It's kind of a nutty. That doesn't happen very often. So. Ken, thanks <laughs> no, for the time. I appreciate that. We always appreciate checking in with you. Thanks.
That's Ken Brown, everybody. Uh, Associate Sports Information Director, actually Head Sports Information Director, Associate Athletic Director for the U of I. Steve Kelly, Lauren Tate with you on the Line I Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Lovey Smith made a football hire this week as a Director of High School Relations, and her name is Ashton Washington. She joins us on the Line I Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Good morning, Ashton. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm good. How are you? We're doing well. Welcome to uh, the Illini family, and uh, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself, your background, and how you became interested in uh, this position on Lovey Smith's staff. Well, I will say one thing. I've had more welcome to the family text messages, calls, um, tweets. I think this is unbelievable. I'm more excited, and I think everyone's excited for me, so I hope they're ready. Uh, overall, just trying to... Uh, from me, from you know, from coming to Texas, coming from Texas to Illinois, uh, just graduated last year from Houston Tillerson, 2019 graduate. Uh, graduated mass communications, bachelor's degree. Uh, from there, worked with the XFL, Houston Roughnecks. I like to say the best team in the league. If there was a championship, we'd be in it. And then now, I'm with the incredible, legendary coach Lovey Smith and staff. I'm excited to get up here. Oh, I'll say get up there because right now I'm in Houston. So I'm excited to get up there, uh, meet the staff face-to-face. Zoom call is cool, but it's better to meet them face-to-face. But, of course, six feet apart, right? So when you had an opportunity to um, interview with Lovey, obviously you knew about Lovey Smith. You come from a football background. What was that like for you? Uh, for me, uh, that one-on-one call or Zoom call with Coach Smith, it was for me unbelievable. Let's just say that um, I thought I sat there and I'm like, who in the world am I, right? To have a call with somebody so legendary and so great like him. Uh, one thing I can say after that call and after our oh my first staff meeting yesterday is that Coach Smith, he is like a mentor or he is becoming a mentor for me. He, <laughs> it's funny because it's just like having a second dad. Honestly, that is just how down to earth he is. And I really, really love that. And that's one of the reasons why I'm here at Illinois. Ashton, this is Lauren Tate. Uh, tell me, uh, what will you, when you get on campus, what will your job really consist of? I, relations, uh, relationships is, a, is a, you know, a vague word, really, because it doesn't tell me exactly what you're going to be doing. I love that question. So with that, as you said, you know, director of high school relations, what exactly does that mean? Uh, for me, particularly, is, you know, the key piece of helping with on-campus recruiting. So I'm doing on-campus recruiting, meeting moms, meeting dads, of course, meeting the recruits that's coming, and then building and, you know, enhancing those relationships in-state. So my main goal, yes, I'm coming from Texas, and, and that's one of our recruiting demographics, but I'm coming up there to meet actual Illinois high school coaches, Illinois high school recruits, that is what I'm trying to do. And my favorite quote that I'm saying right now is, you know, I imagine or I want to see when I get up there and when it's time to do so, walk into a high school coach's office in Illinois and at least see, you know, a pencil of Illinois or a coffee mug or something, right? That is just the type of culture that I'm trying to enhance and build and grow and innovate that we already have. Well, you, uh, you mentioned Illinois. Is it going to be specifically within state? Is that your role? Uh, so specifically for me, just personally, I want to focus in state and then, of course, out of state, of course, with the demographics that we're recruiting. And that's a key piece as well. 
Well, you know, I'm going to bring this up. Illinois got no Illinois got no in-state football recruits this last year, this past season, in terms of uh, the recruits that have coming on campus, on scholarship. That is, uh, that would seem to me be a, a, a real need. And maybe uh, when I saw your name in this regard, I'm thinking, man, uh, they need they need to up <laughs> they need to step up in this whole area because uh, Illinois is falling behind with the University of Illinois is falling behind with Illinois recruits. I'm sure you're aware of that. Yes, and so that, like I said, that is the main goal for myself. Um, you know, that's just a personal aspect of me. So no one's told me, like, hey, Ashton, this is what you need to do. Get to it. This is your list. You know what I mean? So it's just a personal thing for me. And I want to come across as authentic and genuine to them. And, you know, once they meet me, it'll be a whole different story, I hope. So like I said before, at the beginning of this interview, I'm ready for them, but I hope they're ready for me. What... Um long-term goals you have for yourself that's probably a, a hard question because you're just kind of getting started in your career but uh, do you, have you thought down the road is coaching something that you'd like to venture into if it comes to that maybe um but for right now my main focus and especially with a big time role like this i'm in the big 10 right um 23 i, I can have big dreams big aspirations but my main focus right now is illinois football Good stuff, Ashton. We appreciate uh, your time, and thanks for joining us, and uh, we look forward to meeting you in person when you get to town. I can't wait to meet you guys, and I don't know if you want to give me a handshake or a fist bump or a hug. You pick. <laughs> we'll give you an elbow. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay, look, we can do an elbow. Thanks for your time. Good luck to you. Thank you. Have a good one, guys. You too. That's Ashton Washington. She is the Director of High School Relations for the uh, Illinois football staff at uh, 926. Here's the rest of our lineup. We got off to a quick start with Kent Brown and Ashton Washington. Coming up in just a few minutes, we'll visit with former Illini assistant basketball coach Mark Coombs. We're going to talk a little bit about Tony Yates, who died last week. And then right after that, unfortunately, we're going to talk about another guy with Illinois connections, a small connection. Well, he's from the state of Illinois, Jerry Sloan. Did you see where he's really from? Yes. Gobbler's Knob, which is 15 miles from McLeansboro. (laughs) Gobbler's Knob. (laughs) Bill Small will join us to talk about uh, Jerry Sloan, who passed away yesterday. Jerry was enrolled at the University of Illinois for a semester back in 1960, went on to become a Hall of Fame coach in the uh, NBA and uh, the original Chicago Bull. He was, uh, when the Bulls um, became a team in 1966, he's a guy there that uh, has his jersey retired now there and also also coached the Bulls. So Bill Small will talk about him. Coming up in the uh, second hour at 10 o'clock, Orlando Antigua, assistant basketball coach for Brad Underwood, will join us. And then at uh, 10.30, Illinois running backs coach Mike Bellamy will check in as well. Also between now and 11, we'll have some Audio sound bites of Bobby Roundtree, who uh, met with the media yesterday via Zoom. Uh, just almost exactly a year, just over a year from that uh, accident down in Florida that uh, injured him. He's got some inspiring words. And we've got some openings for your phone calls as well. 356-9397 is the phone number. Alani Pella, Saturday Sports Talk. And when things do get back to normal and you're thinking about your windows or doors, think about the Pella Window Store, 1001 North Country Fair Drive in Champaign. They have a 
a series called the Lifestyle Series of Wood Windows and Patio Doors that provide outstanding sound control and energy efficiency, all at an amazing value. Most styles are available with triple-pane glass, which can improve energy conservation. The Pella Lifestyle Series is a leader in energy efficiency, plus you can personalize solutions for each room in your home with uh, all kinds of different uh, product packages. With the Pella Lifestyle Series, you can choose the features that fit your project's unique style, and with many colors, finishes, and grill pattern options, you'll find Lifestyle Series windows and patio doors to complement your home and budget. Check them out when you can, 356 6474 is the number for Lion Ipella. They'll uh, make an appointment to visit with you, and once they get back open, uh, we'll let you know when that is. But they're still working with customers, so check them out or check out their products at PellaOfChampagne.com. 929, a break. Back with more after this. Stay with us. Nine thirty-two, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with you until eleven o'clock this morning. With Lauren Tate, I'm Steve Kelly. Phone line is open, 356-9397. If you would like to join us, thanks to Ken Brown and Ashton Washington, our first two guests in the first half hour of the show. And Mark Coombs, former Illinois assistant basketball coach, joins us on the line. Mr. Coombs, how are you this morning? Steve and Lauren, it's, it's great to be with you guys today. We miss seeing you occasionally at our weekly luncheons and Hopefully we'll get those back uh, one of these days. You'll get back to town and visit with us. Well, I hope so. This is a special day. I just got done talking to Coach Henson, and uh, we were talking about uh, Tony and uh, being there in 75, 76 together. And now I get to talk to you guys. I mean, it's a great day in Champaign-Urbana. Well, how was Coach Henson doing in your conversation this morning? Coach is doing all right. He's holding his own. I don't talk to him as near much as as near as I used to, as much as I used to. But uh, you know, he's doing all right. He's staying safe and he's staying at home, and uh, everything is everything is all right. Good. We wanted to talk to you a little about uh, Tony Yates, who was an assistant at Illinois, 1974 to 1983. He passed away a week ago today, at the age of 82. He went on to be the head coach at his alma mater, the University of Cincinnati. But what do you remember about? working uh, with uh, Tony and what he meant to the program overall? <clears throat> well, very simply put, Tony was a star. For me personally, he was a great mentor to me because I came in as a 23-year-old assistant coach, never being at that level. And I worked with him for a year. Les Whitkey and Coach were there. But Tony was the first one. He came in with Gene Bartow. And he helped me in the idea about what to look for in recruiting how to present myself, and how to develop relationships. And Tony and I had a long-standing relationship because in 82, when I became the head coach of Wabash Valley, we had kept in touch. And when Ken Norman didn't make it into the Illinois, um, into school that year, got denied admissions, he handed him over to me for a year. And then a year later, I helped him get my 6'9", Brian Helm, power forward, who went to Cincinnati. So we trusted each other, we worked well together, and we had great respect for each other. Well, Mark, this is Lauren. Uh, talk about some of the players that, that he brought in. I mean, I think immediately I think of Harper. I think he told me he flew down there about 20 times to Florida. And But I'm going to go back to Audie Matthews, which is before you, because he got Audie when he was with Gene Bartow, and he also brought in Washington Williams. What do you know about 
his relationships in bringing in Audie Matthews, Levi Cobb, Eddie Johnson, Harper, Ephraim Winters, that gang. Well, George Montgomery, Reno Gray, right. Norman, uh, all those guys. And what Tony did, he, he bridged the gap. And he was the first guy there when Lou came in. Uh, Lou was an outsider. Les came in very shortly thereafter. He was a head coach in the south suburbs at Rich East. And then I came in in August. But what Tony did was help Lou to establish a different kind of relationship in the Chicagoland area with the high school coaches. And at that time, Lauren, high school coaches were king. Mm -hmm. If a high school coach said you couldn't call one of his recruits, and you did, he would cut you off his list. It's not like it is now with the AAU guys. So you had to go by the high school, and Tony did a great job with Frank Colino at Westinghouse to get Eddie, Bill Warden at Morgan Park, Wes Mason to get Audie, and so on and so forth. And Rich Adams he brought in also. So there were just a lot of things that he did at Illinois at a time because they were coming off a of back-to-back last-place teams with the previous coach and with Gene. And Lou came in as an outsider, the IBCA, was not for him because Cecil did not hire a high school coach and the Chicago public league coaches. When we came in, Larry Williams was the top guy in the state of Illinois at Phillips. Yeah. Well, when Lou came in, it was too late. Recruiting was very, very hurt that first year. And uh, we did get Larry Lubin and Ken Ferdinand, but Larry Williams was the number one guy and he, they didn't even look towards us. Mm-hmm. Well, there were a number of, uh, that was going on about that time. Illinois had really bad relationships. I thought, Tony, and then, and, and I think that it's, it's fair to say Jimmy Collins, who followed in, in the footsteps of Tony Yates as the assistant coach in terms of the Chicago area, really, those two guys back to back, Yates and Collins, did a fantastic job up there in, in having the relationships, which uh, even today I don't think is as good as it was during that period. Is that fair? Well, that is very fair. And here's the thing, Lauren the one thing that Tony did because things were so bad. The Chicago Public League coaches, because I went to Northern Illinois, I wanted to stay at Illinois, but I was only making $3,000 a year as a full-time guy. And that particular year, I watched Peoria Richwoods with Derek Holcomb and Mark Smith over 30 times myself. Mm-hmm. So the bottom line was Tony helped to establish that network up there and change the Chicago Public League's attitude towards Champaign-Urbana and the University of Illinois because a lot of times – Pete Cunningham and various guys, they flunked out of school. Illinois did not have the academic support. And when they came to the state tournament, they didn't feel welcome. They didn't like it on some of the things that happened during the games that they thought they didn't get a fair shake on. So there was a lot of animosity between the Chicago Public League and Champaign-Urbana. We're visiting with Mark Coombs. And Tony helped to bridge that. Mark Coombs, former assistant basketball coach at uh, the U of I and UIC later on. I had a feeling we might hear from our next caller, Quinn Richardson, calling in from the Chicago area. Good morning, Quinn. How are you? Good morning, Steve. I'm good. Thank you so much. Yep. We're talking about Tony Yates. Have you got uh, Tony Yates' uh, comment and or story you'd like to chip in with? Sure, sure. Good morning to the Lauren and then Coach Mark Coons. I know Mark... uh, uh, and, and and his relationship with Coach Henson and Mary Henson. So, uh, Mark, it's good to hear your voice and hope you're well. 
Well, Quinn, when I was at Northern, I tried to get you, and you wouldn't come. <laughs> you know, Mark, I remember you saying that in front of me and Coach Hester and Mary. And then she's like, my sister say, well, he was coming at University of Illinois. So that was good. Thank you for mentioning that. Um, yeah, so yeah, Coach Yates, uh, he, Les Wookie recruited me, and I think he also recruited Perry Range. But Coach Yates, when I signed my letter as a tent with the University of Illinois, he came to my house. My mother had coffee and, and cookies and things like that, and my high school coach came over. So, ironically, about three months ago, I put the picture up in my basement because I got two Illinois uh, walls downstairs. I shared those pictures with Miss Henson and Coach, but, but, so I put that picture up with Coach Yates, my father, and my high school coach, Bob Frazier. And uh, I went back and looked at it when I, you know, had heard he had passed away uh, the other weekend, Saturday, I think early Sunday morning. So uh, one great thing that, you know, Coach Yates was, you know, a, a great basketball mind player. He talked with me a lot. And one of the things that he said, it was doing a game. And I think this was from his military background, right? Uh, before he played with Oscar Robertson and he appeared with him at Cincinnati, we were playing Michigan and Michigan State. I remember I was just a sophomore, and one of the uh, uh, more uh, upper class players was saying something to the teammate. And Coach Yates came down there, and he was really stern. And he said, We don't do that here at the University of Illinois. And uh, uh, I just thought that was great. Never had another issue like that, but he was just showing in terms of our professionalism, our character, our integrity. We're going to win basketball games, but we're going to win them the right way. So I just thought that was uh, just outstanding, That and that was during the course of the game. So uh, just a great, great individual. Uh, his wife, Maxine, and two kids, Brianna and Tony Jr., so – just wish them the best during this, you know, difficult time. Good hearing your voice, Quinn. Thank you. Quinn, thanks for Thank the call. You. Always good to hear from okay. you. Mark, um, Tony Yates went on to become head coach at Cincinnati. He went uh, 70 and 100 there. But uh, I remember him. I grew up in uh, the state of Ohio, southwestern Ohio, and Tony played at Cincinnati when I was – 10, 11, 12, 13 years old in, in that range. And I remember him very well as a player. He was uh, an All-American player, third-team All-American, yet he never averaged more than eight or nine points a game. But he was an assist guy. He was a point guard and played in three consecutive NCAA championship games. He was a great player. And won two of them. Yes, he did, against Ohio State. And LT, he should have won the third one, right? Well, it was an overtime game with Loyola. I mean, it, was, it could have gone either way, right? But uh, Yeah, they had a big lead towards the end of the game, or a nice-sized lead, and, and they couldn't hold it. But, you know, that was that was a little bit before my time. But, uh, but you know, he, 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 was, he was a great leader. And he was an older guy, too, because he was in the Army, and then he came out, and uh, I think that helped him some. And the one great thing about Tony is he could relate to all groups of people. He really could. I mean, he could relate to the administrators. He could relate to the corporate people. He could relate to the people that worked on the grounds. I mean, he was just a people person, and everybody liked Tony Yates. You know, I was at um, Oscar Robertson's home when they hired Tony at Cincinnati. He had a big affair, and I drove over there. 
And, uh, you know, because I was really close to Tony, as you know, we played a lot of tennis and some golf together, but a lot of tennis. And I could beat him when we started because I had played tennis. He'd never played tennis before, but once he learned how to play, I had no chance. <laughs> it's like hitting yeah. it against the wall. But why why did he fail it at Cincinnati? What was the problem that caught, they just couldn't get it going there? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, he had he had established himself in Chicago so well, and he brought a group of people to the school to the campus that were not qualified to play right away. Okay. And that sort of and some of them didn't make it academically and and so on and so forth. So, you know, you when the momentum gets away from you, it's hard to bring it. It's hard to really bring it back. And the one thing that Lou and Tony did together. Tony did a great job of helping Lou establish himself in Chicago with Landon Cox, who just passed recently, and the various coaches in the Chicagoland area. And Lou himself, as a recruiter, and I've been told this by many other guys, they said, boy, you really work for a guy that gets after it. He will stay there in the morning, and he'll stay there all day and watch all the games. A lot of head coaches wouldn't do that. So it was really good that Tony helped Lou become an insider instead of an outsider when he came during the period of time they were together. And they worked very well together. And then when Les went to Western Michigan and Dick came in, he was there. And then when Jimmy came in, he had contacts in Chicago. But Lou always had the contacts also that was helped, that established, that Tony helped him to establish. Sonny Cox, Hambrick, and all those various guys. Another couple of minutes with uh, Mark, Mark Coombs. Another one of your fans is on the line. Don Rue calling in from Savoy. Go ahead, Don. Good morning, Mark, Steve, Lauren. I just wanted to mention briefly that uh, I was an assistant at Bloom when Audie was there. And when Tony H. came in to start recruited, recruiting Audie, he was the most personable coach They came in. And he remembered every assistant coach at Bloom's name. He was always friendly. Uh, you'd see him at games. And uh, he, he just was a great, great assistant. And I think uh, a lot of assistant coaches in college uh, maybe missed the type of uh, personality that Tony had. And uh, he, was, he was just a great guy. That's, that's all I have to say. Thank you. Thank you, Don. Thank we you, appreciate Don. the call. Hey, Don, thank you. You know, uh, Tony was responsible for when, – when, when he brought in Audie Matthews from Bloom, I think Audie was the number one player in the state. I may be wrong, but I think he was number one. When he got Levi Cobb, he was the first uh, Chicago player we'd had in a long time. When he got Eddie Johnson, that was a huge step in the right direction. Harper was a big catch out of Florida. Uh, Ephraim Winters and Bruce Douglas came in together, and they were just – Four years of tremendous play, along with George Montgomery, and I uh, we had a uh, we had a junior college player by the name of Tucker who was an awfully good guard in those in that era. I don't know Tony's relationship with him, but Tony was a leader in in a number of key guys, wasn't he? Wasn't he, Mark? He was, and and Dick Nagy recruited Craig Tucker, okay, uh, out of the junior college in Kansas. But don't don't forget Nate Williams and Michael Washington. Mm-hmm. My first year at Illinois, right? Those two guys as seniors. With Otho Tucker and Audie and various guys, they put together a very representative team the very first year we were there. Mm-hmm. 
and we beat Arizona, we beat New Mexico, we beat Purdue when they had Jordan and Walls and Kyle Macy and Jerry Seesting break their 13-game winning streak against Illinois. We beat Michigan that year uh, when they had Ricky Green and, and John Grody and, and Phil Hubbard and those guys. But when Nate went down with his knee against Purdue, yeah. that really hurt us a lot. And Nate was a very, very good guard, and Mike Washington was a very, very good player for us too. So that was the establishment. He recruited those two kids out of Burlington Junior College. They were both out of Morgan Park and Crane. So he had established the Chicagoland area mm-hmm. the year before we got there. Right. So you can't, you can't measure, Lauren. Nobody can measure. I can only tell you the value of Tony getting into Chicago and helping Lou and then Jimmy to establish the Chicagoland area for, a pro, for, for Coach Henson's program for 21 years. The credibility was enormous for us. We'll let you go in a minute, uh, Mark. Got another call here real quick for you. Brad is calling in. Go ahead, Brad. Hello. Go ahead. Mark. Okay, Mark, this is your old friend Brad. Uh, with not too yes, much Brad. to do lately, I watched the, I watched the old uh, Illinois versus Michigan 1989 semifinal. You sure what had a lot more that? hair back then, buddy. <laughs> what game was that? <laughs> <Brad>? <laughs> Hey, it's amazing. I talked to Glenn Rice about that two years ago down here in Florida, and he said we had the best team in the country, and I said, how come you beat us then, Glenn? <laughs> we, because of Glenn Rice scoring 35, that would help, wouldn't it? No kidding. <laughs> if they would have had I, I a clock Glenn, back you... then like they – Mark? Yeah. Mark, uh, I, was, I was watching um, that. If they would have had a clock back then, you guys would have had more – Illinois had more than two seconds left on the clock – for that inbound play. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's water under the damn bridge. I mean, that's water under the damn bridge. <laughs> water under the damn bridge. <laughs> I, like, I like that. I'm going to use that sometime. Hey, Brad. That's a good one. Okay. Yeah. Brad has, hey, Brad has only brought that up to me 15 times. <laughs> well, make it, make it 16. Brad, thanks for the call. We appreciate it. Uh, Mark, we appreciate your time. Always good to visit with you, and I look forward to seeing you in town here hopefully sometime this summer. I hope so. I want to get back up there and see everybody. We have a lot of family. Uh, Lucas and his family are up there, and Lou and Mary are up there, and we have a lot of friends up there. So thank you for calling me very much. You bet. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Mark. Okay, bye. Mark yep. Coombs with us. Need to take a break at 9.50. We'll do that and be back with more in just a moment. Stay with us. It is 9.51, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Kelly and Tate with you till 11. Busy first hour as we go down memory lane, sadly, with the, the passing of a couple of people with uh, connections to the U of I. We just had Mark Coombs on talking about uh, Tony Yates, who died a week ago today over in uh, Cincinnati. And Jerry Sloan passed away yesterday, the longtime coach of the Utah Jazz Hall of Fame coach. And as we mentioned, uh, Jerry and Lauren remembers this better than I, although I was on the planet at that time. But uh, I didn't uh, remember that uh, Jerry Sloan was actually at the U of I for a short time from Cleansboro, Illinois, the uh, first semester of 1960. Bill Small, former Illini basketball player, was on that team as well. Good morning, Bill. How are you? Morning, Steve. Good morning, Lauren. Good morning. What do you remember about Jerry Sloan and his brief time here? 
got many memories about Jerry. He and I became you know, good friends. We communicated occasionally later on. But uh, Jerry Sloan in 1960 was targeted by Harry and Howie as one of the two people we needed to get on our ball club. So he assigned Dave Downey and myself to basically recruit Jerry. And back then, players could go out and recruit. We, Dave and myself, made two trips to McLeansboro. Uh, I think Keith Kemper flew us down in his little plane. And uh, we recruited Jerry very hard. We even went to his high school graduation. And it paid off. He came to Illinois in the fall of 1959. And uh, he was a intimidating force as an 18-year-old. He was 6'5", right around 200 pounds, but he was like a blacksmith. He had things that were really big and strong and jawbone. You could tell he uh, he was tough. He'd grown up in McLeansboro, Illinois, outside of McLeansboro. It's at Link Lawrence at Gobbler's Knob. Uh, the youngest of 10 kids. And his uh, father died, I think, when he was four or five, so he was raised by his mother and his uh, older siblings. And he worked on the farm uh, all the time. And then uh, had a tremendous senior year. McLeansboro was very good. I think they got beaten in the Sweet 16. But anyway, he came to Illinois, and uh, he was with us just a couple months. He enrolled in the fall of 1959. And um, Thanksgiving, freshman went home on break. Jerry never came back. He, uh, he just uh, didn't feel comfortable here at Illinois. I'd ask him later on uh, what the reason why he left. And basically, he said that uh, he felt overwhelmed. He was intimidated by the, the big school and the big classes. Plus, his uh, girlfriend, who eventually became his wife, Bobby, was going to school at Southern. So when he left, he decided to stay home uh, after Thanksgiving break. I think he worked... Uh, couple months uh, I don't he was thinking about enrolling at Southern but he ended up at Evansville and of course everybody knows what happened at Evansville it's a division two school and he dominated and they won the national championship by two of his three years but he would have been an integral part of our ball club probably if we'd have had him uh, for a couple of years uh, who knows what we could have done we might have won the national championship he was uh, not a good shooter he was not a good shooter at all but he was strong he could play defense. He could rebound as well as anyone I think I've ever seen. And he could just, you know, tough it out. He was really, really a, a fine player. And, of course, that uh, transformed to what he went on as playing with the Bulls and his coach. But uh, he was a, uh, a tremendous young man, but he was he was out of his element here at Illinois. And he admitted it. He, he told me he didn't think he could play up here, which I sort of laughed at him when he told me that. The last time I, I saw him personally was when he was coaching the Jazz they had an exhibition game here in Illinois, and uh, he called me, and I think I spent guards two, two and a half hours at the High Hotel there talking to him uh, the night before the exhibition game. Then I talked to him after he, uh, he resigned. Uh, I talked to him one time. That's the last time I talked to him. You uh, intrigued me when you said that you and Dave uh, recruited. Uh, there were two players that Harry uh, targeted that year in, in 59. Who was the other one? George Wilson. George, well, that was a good that was a good one to target. He was the best player by far in Chicago. In fact, he's a, up to that time. I up to that time. This I don't know if this is a fair statement, 
up to that time, I think he was the best player in Illinois history. What do you think? Through 59. I agree. I agree. And he committed to come to Illinois. Oh, he did? Oh, yeah. As a matter of fact, the championship game of the state tournament was in Huff Gym. Yeah. And uh, if you you don't remember this, but I do, because uh, during that game, he uh, he didn't have any socks or something, so he borrowed some socks from Illinois, and he played that championship game with orange top socks. <laughs> okay. And then a- a- after the season, he'd come down on the train on Friday night and spend the weekend with Bur- uh, Bill Burwell, and we'd, we'd have great games up in the second floor of Huff Gym. And he was all set to come, and then uh, unfortunately for us, and well, you know what happened, halfway through the summer, he and his mother ended up in Cincinnati, and it's just history. Yeah, so well, we lost him in the summer, and then we lost Sloan at uh, at uh, Thanksgiving break. It's funny how these things tie in because we were just talking about Tony Yates and the star of the team at Cincinnati was George Wilson, along with Ron Bonham and Thacker. That's the guys that Tony played with over there, and uh, George Wilson could have turned everything. You know, wherever George Wilson went, they were going to be a pretty good basketball team. There's no doubt about that. Exactly right. Exactly right. Well, any other thoughts about uh, Jerry Sloan in terms of his uh, coaching career? And, and I know he's with the Bulls for a few years and then as a head coach. And then he had a long term uh, with, uh, with the Jazz. I think at the time he was the longest tenured coach in, in the NBA. Yeah, he, he coached the Jazz for, I think, 22, 23 years. And uh, he and his wife, Bobby, had kids and uh, with a real bad case of cancer when she was like 61. And, uh, well, matter of fact, his uh, oldest son, Brian, played for Bobby Knight at uh, Indiana and uh, went on to become an attorney in Indianapolis. But, uh, no, I, I, you know, I, I, I just wish I could have had a chance to play with him because he would have, he would have complimented our ball club perfectly. But uh, he chose not to come back, and you know, that's history. But Well, I, now, i got to ask you, would, would he have beaten out Colangelo? <laughs> if he's going to replace uh, – was it Starnes or Colangelo? Which one would he have replaced in that lineup? Well, he, he, he could have played either two, three, or four. Yeah. Like I said, he wasn't that good of a shooter, but he made up for it and everything else he did. He would have played two, or three, two three, or four. Uh, and uh, – who knows? Put put him and George Wilson in there. We might have won two or three times, two or three times in a row. Oh yeah. Well, uh, I was no, going. Jerry was Jerry was an, uh, a unique individual uh, from Southern Illinois. Uh, like I said, he 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 just was out of place up here in Illinois. It wasn't the right place at the right time for him. He found his own element down the, at the smaller school at Evansville, and he and he and Bobby had a had a nice life together, and uh, it, it worked out well. As a matter yeah. of fact, uh, he used to work on the. the family farm a lot and i found out later on in fact he might have told me that the night we were talking to Iowa Trump, that in the summer he worked for fisher from maggie ferguson's down there which is a little southwest of mcclain and he worked for bill during the summers uh, from the time he was like 14 15 years old so he, that's why he was so big and strong and 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 ahead of his game he, he'd worked all his life he played with Van Leer. Boy, what a pair that was for the Bulls. And, uh, but I wanted to bring up the, uh, the fact that, that at the end of his career in 2011, I think that on February the 9th of that year, they were 31-23. and 23. He had, a quote, reports of conflict with players, and he resigned. And Darren Williams was in the, right in the middle of that. And two weeks later, the Jazz traded Darren Williams to the Nets. That's the former yeah. line Darren Williams. So that uh, – he, he, he talked to me a little bit about that, and he, 
I'm not going to get into that, but he, he had some problems with there. And D, D was on that team for a year or two. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but uh, he just uh, didn't get along with those two guys very well. Hey, Bill, we appreciate your time. We'll let you get out to the golf course. How's your game? Haven't played yet. Come on. Have not played yet. I've uh, been nursing some minor ailments and trying to get them better, and uh, I'm going to start playing next Friday. Good deal. We appreciate it. Good to talk to you. We'll see you soon. Thank you, guys. Have a good day. Thanks, you Bill. Bill Small with us. To Darren Williams' defense, not that he needs defending, in this at all, but he had a very nice, very oh, thoughtful tweet yeah. uh, yesterday when he heard about the death of Jerry Sloan, and he said they those two had a chance to sit down and talk, get over, and kind of work things out after the fact, and he's glad that he had the chance to do that and would have been very disappointed had he not, and he uh, wished the best to the, the Sloan family. You know, Sloan had a, a style that didn't fit all the players. Right. I mean, in fairness, when he, as long as he had Stockton and, and Malone, <laughs> he, they pretty. I mean, Stockton pretty much ran the ball club, and, and I think Darren thought he was running the ball club too when he took over, because he was a point guard, and maybe uh, maybe they had some differences of opinion on how, how things should be done. Sloan had one of the all-time great quotes, and I can't do it verbatim, but he said he told uh, the guys in the NBA. The guys that work eight to five, some seven days a week, they don't want to hear about you guys being tired, too tired to play basketball. Yeah. And that got to him, and uh, and that's the background he came from. You know, he, he was a collector of tractors. He yep. had like uh, 30-some tractors. He was a big John Deere guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then he sold his tractor collection at some point. Anyway... 1002 WDWS, Champaign-Urbana. Hour number one is in the books. We'll have hour number two. We'll lead off and talk some Illinois basketball with assistant coach Orlando Antigua. After this, stay with us. It's the second hour of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line. 217-351-5357. Here again are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Welcome back to the show, everybody. 10.05, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk, heading towards that 11 o'clock hour. Phone line is open, 356-9397. Busy first hour. We spoke with Kent Brown, Ashton Washington, the new uh, football staff member for Lovey Smith, Mark Coombs, former Illini assistant basketball coach and former Illini basketball player Bill Small. We're remembering a couple of guys with U of I ties, Tony Yates and Jerry Sloan. Kicking off hour number two, we're going to talk some Illinois basketball. Assistant coach Orlando Antigua is on the line with us. Coach O, how are you this morning? I'm great. I'm great. Good morning. Good morning. How are you all doing? We're doing good. You're keeping busy uh, in a different kind of way than you used to. How you Dealing with all this, everything going okay? Uh, things are going great. Things have been going great, Steve. I can't, what I have to tell you is that uh, um, obviously this time has been a little bit of unique, uh, unique time. One has allowed uh, allowed me to spend uh, a lot of time with with the family. Um, I've gotten to check off every honeydew list possible, and sometimes <laughs> twice. And uh, you know, become proficient in Zoom, 
and how to use a Zoom call. So it's been great. It's been good. Orlando, I used the Zoom yesterday for the first time, and I figured it out by myself. How about that? That is awesome. <laughs> that is awesome, Lon. I would, I would need some documentation on the fact that he figured it out by yourself. I was there alone at home, man. I had it's either that or I wasn't going to be on. That's, had had any of us even heard of Zoom three months ago? I hadn't. Uh-uh. <laughs> none, none of us. I don't think. I think. I think some of the students have because they were using that. Um, on campus for for different things, um, but not to the extent of what, where everybody's using it now and uh, just across the, across the globe. Well, how's the reception been with uh, recruiting? And you can't talk in particular. I get that, but how's how's the reception been in in doing it in this fashion? Um, well, I, I guess it's been it's been unique. Um, you know, fortunately for us, um, we have done a lot of legwork early on in terms of some of the some of the kids that we identified in the 21 class that we wanted to recruit so we had already established a lot of relationships um, there where this comes into effect the the quarantine would have been had we not seen some of these kids had we not um, throughout the year establish some of these relationships and, and communications and it would have been extremely hard just to go off of what you know many people are doing now is just watching old footage old video high school video um and, and that's a that's one way to recruit the other way is also to get the chance to see and feel with your own eyes um but like i said fortunately for us we had already identified some guys early on that that we were targeting and and it allowed us to continue those relationship uh, in a different avenue using the Zoom, utilizing the virtual world, um, and, and us being able to continue to communicate and share the um, all the great things that, that Illinois has to offer, but just in a different medium. Orlando, uh, you're in that process now of bringing players back on campus, and I understand that Kofi... Uh, uh, Coburn is already here. Is that correct that he is on campus? I know he is, he put his name in, but uh, for the draft. But uh, is it true that he's on campus? Um, that is true. That is true. He's uh, he's he is back on campus and has uh, started going through the um, the procedure of getting tested and all that other stuff that, that has to happen before. How many uh, players are on campus? Uh, there's a few, there's a few that, that couldn't leave. Obviously Georgie was one and Benjamin, uh, couldn't, um, couldn't go home as well. Um, and, um, you know, like most international kids, when, when they shut the airports down, um, a good majority of their countries was also being shut down. So they couldn't, they couldn't leave. And, um, you know, Andres Feliz was here for a while and now he's with his wife in, uh, in Kentucky, um, and so he, he also couldn't get out, but uh, yeah, the, the most, the most, most of the most of the rest of the guys were, had a chance to get home and, and in our home. And you know, we've uh, we've grown to miss those guys, even though we've stayed in touch with many of them through using Zoom as well and just calling and FaceTiming those guys. And um, you know, be good to when we can get them back on campus. It'd be great to just to see them and even from a distance, uh, wave them and give them a virtual hug, you know. Well, now, Bosman's Verdunk, hadn't he been staying with the Moore family over around Bloomington? Um, he, ha- he has been. <clears throat> he has been going uh, back and forth. And, oh, has uh, he? 
you know, it's, uh, it's been, it's been, uh, been really good that he's been able to connect with someone, um, you know, to, to make the, make this time a little, become a little easier. Visiting with uh, Illini assistant basketball coach Orlando Antigua a week ago on the show, we had Andre Corbello on. What a great guy. He seems like a great uh, interview for such a young guy, and you have uh, a, certainly a longstanding relationship with he and his family. But talk a little bit about uh, your excitement to, to have him coming into the program and what he might bring. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about not just him, but the, all the young men that are coming, and, and Adam and, as well as Coleman. Um, they just bring a set of, of, of skills and personality that um, – that this particular team um, is going to really need. Uh, Crubello is um, so worldly uh, with his international experience playing on the Puerto Rican national team, uh, having played all over all over the world, and uh, the the success that he's had, um, the maturity to his game and his leadership, um, how he manages a team, how he thinks, how he sees the floor. I mean, even when, when he was on his visit and he's watching practice, you know, he's he's already was already learning and studying guys in terms of how they like to run, where they like the ball, those kind of things. And that's what you, you know, want to see. And um, you know, those guys are really uh really eager also to get to get back on campus and um, you know, they've been doing what they can from home, but but you know, it's different once you start um getting everybody back and back on campus and it starts feeling like, okay, all right, maybe, you know, this has been uh, a little different, but now we're starting to start the process of maybe getting to somewhere normal. Orlando, I'm, I brought up Kofi a minute ago, and I know that I, I think that the date on uh, pulling out of the draft is June 3. Have you heard anything about that date? Is that date solid or is it still possible that it'd be pushed, pushed back? Well, I know I know that the uh, they've changed the date um, okay. for that, yeah, because of the the draft date not being established by the NBA. Um, you know, the NBA right now, I think their main concentration is trying to figure out how to get the playoffs in, um, which is what you know. Obviously, we're hearing out there. There's talk about it going to Orlando or Vegas or somewhere. <clears throat> Um, and then once they're able to establish that, then they can establish positioning um, for the draft, and then they'll determine what, what and if they'll have the draft and all that stuff. So I, I think uh, they haven't gave a date as to what that date will be for those guys that have their names in that are testing to pull their name out. Um, I know it's been an experience for both he and, and Io as they're going through and gathering information and talking to teams and um, just another another way for those guys to be uh, educated and enlightening and and, uh, and and get information. Okay, so June three is I'm just put across right through that. That's yeah, that, they they did that last week or so. Okay. They they didn't pick a new day. They just suspended that date okay. indefinitely. Okay. Here on I.O., have you talked to I.O.? Where is he, and, and uh, what's the latest you know on him? Um, I.O.'s, IO's home with his family um, and, and working extremely hard, and, and I know that he's uh, 
Uh, he's also uh, having these uh, Zoom meetings with uh, with a bunch of teams, and uh, you know, as you would imagine, as many of you know, Lauren, as you guys have, and Steve, if you guys have interviewed him and how well he does um, in in those interviews, how well spoken he is, he, he's able to communicate um, and show his intelligence both as a person and as a player, and I think he's been doing extremely well in, in a lot of these interviews. Hey, Orlando, appreciate your time. I know you're anxious to get the guys back, and uh and anxious to move on as we all are. Well, yeah, before you, uh, one last question. Uh, based on Whitman's uh, statements uh, yesterday, uh, do you have any idea who you will, how many, will you be bringing in all the players right after June 3rd, all your basketball players, do you know? Uh, no, I do not. I do not. I know that's something that's uh, very fluid and it's being communicated as, as all of the uh, steps are getting ironed out. Um, you know, obviously it, it entails uh, – a lot of details to make sure that uh, you know that everyone's safety is taken in the highest consideration, and, and I have to say that the job that Josh and the administration are trying to do in this kind of a pandemic situation has been phenomenal. The leadership has has shown um, bright for us and given everyone in the department. Uh, hope and knowing that there, things are going to be done properly and, and correctly and, and everyone's safety is being taken in consideration. So um, as diligent as Josh and his senior staff are, um, they're ironing out all the details for, for everything that needs to happen so that everybody can make a safe, uh, safe return back to campus and, and start the process of trying to get back to some kind of normalcy um, and what that is and when that will be become normal, normal. I think there'll be a new normal, but uh, when you have the leadership that we have, it's, we're, we're going to be able to, we're going to be able to deal with whatever comes our way. Appreciate your time. We're happy to learn that you got your honey list, honey do list taken <laughs> care of. We wouldn't twice. We wouldn't, wouldn't <laughs> twice, want you on double Steve. secret probation. <laughs> hey, the biggest thing about that, Steve is now I catch my wife thinking about stuff to put on. Her <laughs> you know what I mean? So, when, and when I see those wheels churn and I run, I run, I figure out, oh, I've got to, I make up a Zoom. Hey, hey take, I, I may need to get your Zoom number so we can just talk on the Zoom and, and whenever those lists start to come up. Be happy to do it. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Uh, All right, right, guys. We'll see you. Orlando Antigua Thanks. with us on uh, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Phone line is open, 356-9397. Bob has been hanging on. Go ahead, Bob. What's on your mind this morning? Well, good morning from Muhammad, and uh, I didn't hear the first uh, half hour or so of your show, but I tuned in when you were talking about Jerry Sloan and McLeansboro, Illinois. I'm an old old Saluki uh, and uh, knew that area, um, and uh, I just wanted to mention that, first of all, I wanted to say that I enjoy your program, and uh, somewhere along the line, Lauren Tate uh, changed from being just a fine sports writer into an institution here in Champaign County, as far as I'm concerned. I, you mean I need to be institutionalized? Is that what you're telling me? That's what Kelly tells me. Well, you know what? Uh, Steve Kelly, uh, Mr. Elifritz, uh, is uh, oh, 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 he knows perceptive. It. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. At any rate, uh, I just wanted to say about McLeansboro, uh, they turned out some other pretty good athletes. They had a coach there uh, for many, many years named Gene Haley. And uh, he also uh, 
fellows that came from there that were pretty outstanding were the Burns twins, mm -hmm. one of whom uh, went to Northwestern That's and right. also became an attorney and ran for lieutenant governor. Okay. And then a fellow who uh, I have lost track of him, but we, but we were friends uh, uh, down at down at SIU in Carbondale was a fellow named Carl, and uh, I called him Bubba Mock. He turned out to be a pretty good football player. Yeah. Yeah. I think you guys know know who I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, he uh, he was a close friend of Bum Phillips and played for the Oilers for many years. But at any rate, I, I just wanted to mention the fact that that in in old, older times there were a lot of wonderful athletes that came out of Southern Illinois. But it seems like at that area. Hey, Bob, we appreciate your call. Thanks for taking time to do that. Yep, appreciate you listening. 1019 is the time. We'll keep the phone lines open. Coming up at 1030, we'll talk some Illinois football with Mike Bellamy, the former Illini wide receiver, now coach of the running backs for Lovey Smith. Coming up after our next time out, we'll have some comments from Bobby Roundtree. He kind of met with the media via Zoom yesterday, some inspiring words from the former Illini defensive lineman, really had a great career ahead of him, had that uh, unfortunate accident a year ago in Florida, but he is back in circulation and talking and uh, some uh, cool things to hear from him. Stay with us. We'll be back with more after this. Ten twenty-two, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly with you until 11. Got a little open line period if you want to get in. Mike Bellamy is coming up as well. Bobby Roundtree uh, had a Zoom meeting yesterday with uh, the media. And it's been kind of hard to believe how fast time goes by. But it's been a year since he was injured down in Florida. And uh, he had some comments um, and answered some questions throughout uh, the day yesterday about uh, his rehabilitation and how things have gone and the fact that it's been a year since all that happened. It didn't feel like a year, actually. Um, you know, when my mom said it when I was at therapy, uh, I was just like, wow, I mean, it's been a, it's been a long ride. I mean, it's, it, and it's not finished yet, but uh, uh, it, w it wasn't really, like, getting to me at all because, you know, seeing myself from the beginning until now, like, um, knowing that I'm going forward, you know, um, it felt it feels good that uh, you know everyone's saying I'm making big gains and it's only been a year, so um, it just makes me want to go harder. Actually, Bobby Roundtree, and uh, he's got some goals that he's been working on, and as happens in uh, going through life, uh, goals sometimes change. Here's more from Bobby Roundtree. Having that independence again, you know. I, I'm not used to having, you know, my mom and everybody uh, caring for me and doing things for me that I can't do. And I can't wait to just be independent again. And also, you know, I got goals. I want to, I want to, you know, travel. I want, I'm not saying this is keeping me from doing that, but, you know, just getting back to what I really want to be and do. And, you know, just seeing, just seeing, um, that how I used to be, I, I lost so much weight and I was so weak and seeing that, you know, it, it's, you got to put in a lot of work to, you know, get stronger and get back on your feet. And 
you know, I, I love working. Um, I hate sitting around. I, I hate when they say I can't work out. And, you know, I, I'm just I'm just a go-getter. So, I mean, I just want to show everybody, you know, anything is possible, you know. You can, you can be, you know, on top of the world and something happened and, you know, things might not go as planned, but, you know, there, there's, you know, things out there for everybody. And I just want to show everybody uh, that this injury isn't going to, um, you know, overcome me. I'm going to, I'm going to beat this and I'm uh, going to be successful. That's Bobby Roundtree. Well, he's had a good attitude throughout a really tough year, huh? And he said, quite matter-of-factly, that his goal is to walk again. Yeah. And that's uh, what yep. he wants to work on. And uh, I think he's got a great future in, in the game of football, certainly not uh, not on the field. But uh, he could be, uh, as he mentioned, maybe into coaching, maybe into something in, in uh, rehabilitation. But uh, I look for him to be a guy that uh, achieves – many of those goals. It was great to hear from him. Well, he's it, been an inspiration to everybody and to, the, and to the team, and he's been involved with the team all along. He wants to travel with his mom. you got to love that. Yeah. And uh, he's been making, uh, you know, uh, strides all along. He may, and in some ways, I think he's probably ahead of where they thought he might be at this point. And yeah. He would like to continue that as well. 10.25 is the time. The Cardinals announced uh, yesterday, the St. Louis Cardinals announced their 2020 Hall of Fame class. They put two or three players in their Hall of Fame every year. And the three players this year, a couple from the 80s and one uh, way back when in the uh, 60s. But uh, Tommy Herr, John Tudor, and Bill White were nominated and will be inducted at some point, hopefully this year, when they start playing games again, whenever that is. Your thoughts on those three guys? Well, uh, Tudor was a great pitcher without a great fastball, I think, and he had, had great movement on his uh, left-handed stuff. And then uh, Bill White was a good, strong left-handed hitter that uh, played first base for a number of years on a really good infield. And I think that was when they had Grote and that gang, and they had uh, Boyer maybe. Uh, had Grote, Boyer. Javier and Bill White. How's that for an infield? That was the all-star all infield. All-star infield one year, right. Yeah. Julian pretty, Javier. That's a, that's a pretty good infield. So those three guys were named to the Cardinals Hall of Fame. And Bill White went on to become a, a major influence early in his career. He was one of the, the first guys to uh, cross the color barrier into baseball. Not the first or second, but he was early on back then in the late 50s and early 60s, and then went on to become a baseball executive over the years. 3569397 is the phone number if you'd like to uh, join us. Some of the things we've talked about uh, this morning, the passing of Tony Yates and uh, last week, and then the passing of Jerry Sloan yesterday. So anything that might be on your mind, feel free to give us a call. Mike Bellamy, Illini assistant football coach, will join us coming up in just a few minutes. Illinois uh, football recruiting has more verbal commitments this month than they've had in a while. They have four this month and now have five in the class. Seems like they're doing well in Georgia. Yep, Georgia and Florida. Yep. They've got uh, two from Georgia, two from Florida, and one from Texas. And earlier in the show, we had Ashton Washington on the phone with us, and she is the new director of high school relations. She's going to be working with high school coaches around the state of Illinois. Let's go to the phones. Jim in Urbana is with us. Go ahead, Jim. Hi, Steve and Lauren. How are you today? We're good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm out painting the deck. 
one of the honey-do lists. Yep. What's on your mind? Uh, uh, a couple comments. One of them was, uh, I'm so old that I played one of the last years when uh, Lauren was playing baseball. Oh, my goodness. Back in the, you are yeah, old. Back for the Champagne Merchants. You remember that? Oh, I was bad. <laughs> I was bad. That was my last year. Well, I that's think what I said. I, there was a reason why they called me Ragarm by that time. It was falling off. Well, you had a great career because I followed it through the papers and things when I was younger, and uh, I was just proud to be on the team with you that one year, you know? And uh, <laughs> Fred Schooley was our coach. Fred Schooley, uh, Mouse, Ron Maurer, uh, just a bunch of good guys. Ernie Westville. Yeah, you know that I, I pitched on that team until – Dave Soles got uh, they, they they had a number of players at the University of Illinois who were going to play, uh, but they couldn't play until a certain time, and the EI League started before they were eligible. So I filled in until they got there. When Susie got there, I quit. <laughs> yeah, Dave was a good friend of mine. He was a great two-way athlete, you know. Yeah. And uh, yeah. uh, my other comment was for Steve, as I miss him doing those uh, trivia's because I've got a whole bunch of coffee cups. <laughs> <laughs> Well, put those on eBay there, and you might uh, get a quarter for them or something. There you go. And my last comment is the the Cardinal infield you were talking about, uh, Bill White and Julian and all those guys, they were known as the million-dollar infield at that time. you remember that? Okay. Yeah. The whole infield, million dollars. <laughs> Couldn't do that today, could you? No. Well, thanks for the call, and have a great one. Yep. Enjoy your deck. Thanks, Jim. <laughs> Appreciate it. 1030 uh -huh. WDWS. Champaign-Urbana. We'll take a break and be back with more on the Line Pella Saturday Sports Talk after this. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Line Pella Saturday Sports Talk with you until 11 o'clock here. Lauren Tate, Steve Kelly with you, Mike Bellamy, Line assistant coach, running backs coach for Lovey Smith's Line football team is on the line with us. Michael, how are you this morning? I'm wide awake. Uh, you know, I just came from outside doing the little honeydew list to get the yard done. And, you know, the the list is getting longer and longer the more time I got to um, share. So I've had all kinds of coaches <laughs> talk to me about honeydew lists uh, during this time. Was that something that uh, that didn't happen before this? <laughs> well, <laughs> it, it, it might have happened in the summer, but it <laughs> didn't happen you know, for the last four months, so it's, it's, it's okay, though. It's a great time, great time. Yesterday, uh, Josh Whitman uh, announced some of the plans on getting some athletes back in waves on uh, campus uh, starting as early as June 3rd. I'm sure you guys are anxious to see the guys in person again. Yeah, you know, we've been doing the Zoom meetings and doing phone calls and, and you know, as you start watching the sports channels and see all the conversations between athletic directors and um, the information that is being shared, you know, you get excited um, as a program. So, you know, Josh has shared some information and, you know, and, and Coach Smith as well. So we're, we're at a point to, um, you know, ready for the, the lights to come on. Um, and as our leaders will tell us, you know, we'll do whatever we can to make sure the kids are safe. How optimistic are you? of getting the season started on time? Well, right now, I mean, everything is based on, you know, the perception of, um, you know, taking care of what's necessary. You know, um, it, 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 things change daily for us. 
you know, and we'll be told one date, and then as soon as they figure there needs to be some changes, you know, it goes three weeks later or three weeks earlier. You know, so, you know, the optimism is, is you know, just like, you know, wanting to, you know, be at a special place at a special time. And, and right now, you know, I, all I'm trying to do is get to Monday and, you know, celebrate Memorial Day and, you know, and then the Tuesday. So it, it, it is it is one of those things that you're waiting and waiting and waiting, waiting like Christmas, you know, but right now we're just, you know, kind of anxious to, you know, be in a position of able to tell people what we're, we're obviously going to do. Mike, this is Lauren. I, tell us about your running back situation as you see it coming in. You lose two great guys in Corbin and Dre Brown. You got Mike Epstein, Bonner, Chase Brown, Cumbie, Norwood. You've got some guys coming back, but I, I'd like to know about Love also, uh, the, the the young guy that you've got, the freshman coming in. So talk talk about how you're going to line them up this year. Well, the, the, you know, when you have Reggie and Dre, who is eighty percent, you know, of our offense, you know, you you have to find a way to um, replace them. And, you know, Mike Epstein was a guy early in camp um, that we had high expectations for. And unfortunately, um, the injury set him back a little bit. Um, um, Rayvon Bonner is a senior. You know, so you got two guys right there who got game time experience that will get every opportunity um, to put, you know, the offense on their shoulders. Um, you know, you, you talk about Jakari um, and um, Kenyon Sims, who are the younger guys um, who got a little experience during the season. And then Chase Brown, um, the transfer, you know, and, and he's one of the guys that the defense, because he was on the scout team during the season, the defense spoke highly of him because of, you know, everything he was doing against them. You know, so you want to give him a chance to be able to go with the ones. Um, and then, like you said, you know, then you got a freshman um, in Reggie Love um, who is highly touted and um, will get every opportunity. You know, you hate the fact that we missed spring ball. Um, that would have gave us a chance to take a look at some of the the younger guys um, during those 15 days of practice, you know, but, you know, if one, the sooner we get back, you know, we'll have a plan that everybody will get an uh, opportunity, you know, to prepare for that first game um, against Illinois State. Uh, specifically about Epstein, he's been here uh, and he's had, he's shown flashes, but I think every year he's been injured. Uh, what, where do you think he stands right now? Is he 100% coming in? Well, that's, you know, what we've been told that he's on full goal. There's no um, green jersey on him or anything like that. Um, I, I think one of the things that makes him optimistic is seeing the success that Dre Brown has had, you know, because, you know, you you look through um, other guys' eyes sometimes, and um, Dre was able to finish his senior year with a, with a more memorable um, season, and that's kind of where Mike has been. You know, he's he was the first guy that made a phone call after he got hurt saying that, you know, I'm, I'm rehabbing ready for the next season, you know, so, you know, his mentality is all about preparing this team to um, have a successful season. So um, I'm very, like I said, excited for his opportunity, you know, but we'll, we'll, we'll take it slow and um, take baby steps. And, and as soon as uh, everything is off of him, we're full speed ahead. We're talking it over with Illinois assistant coach Mike Bellamy. Speaking of opportunities, have you heard anything about uh, Corbin and Brown as far as uh, what might be next for them? Well, the, the, you know, you talked to a lot of scouts early, and, you know, I, I was kind of surprised um, that neither one of them um, had gotten picked up um, initially. But, 
you know, with the lack of the mini camps and the um, rookie camps, um, that that kind of hindered their opportunities. But I'm pretty sure once the doors start opening um, in the NFL, um, both of them will get phone calls. Um, if not, you know, for tryouts, um, they'll definitely get phone calls for practice squads or something like that and get an opportunity to fulfill their dream. You know, they're, they're both good kids, smart kids, but the best thing for both of them is they got their um, college degree, uh, you know, and they were planning on life after football. Uh, maybe not this this soon, but they'll be fine. You're into the 2021 recruiting. Uh, Mike, have, have you intend to bring another running back in, in, the tw- in with this class, its next class? Well, I mean, the thing about it, numbers change all the time. And, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're at a point where – um, you know, sometimes you, you, you assume you're going to bring some, bring one in and you might need, um, that position somewhere else. So, you know, at this moment, we're just looking at the best players for the 21 class. Um, our numbers fluctuate depending on, um, you know, guys success, you know, so as we go along, you know, we'll go into the, um, the full speed recruiting cycle and we'll get numbers from, um, our recruiting department and coach Smith and saying, um, we need another running back to replace this guy, or we don't need a running back because um, Chase Brown and Reggie Love are so good. We need that position at some other um, that number at some other position. So does Epstein? Um, we going to have a full recruiting class. Okay. Did, does Epstein have another uh, two more years or or one? Uh, he has two more years. Two more. Okay. All two right. More years. Yeah. Well, Mike, when uh, the guys start coming back week after next, what? Will the uh, early workouts uh, look like? What kind of stuff will they be doing? Well, again, everything for us has been, you know, just as you guys got the information, we're getting it um, as well. You know, so for us, we, we the dates have not been confirmed, you know, but from the early standpoint, um, the you know, just like in every other league in the NFL and the NBA, the guys are coming in. Um, that have to deal with them, and that's the strength staff, the training staff, and then the players start coming in. Um, and, and, you know, so our meetings will probably look similar to they look now, where we're on computers. Um, you know, the, the workouts will be with um, the strength staff and the training staff. You know, as far as the coaching, um, we probably won't get to the kids um, or the players um, for um, a few times later, you know, a few weeks later. So, you know, I'm not I'm – not, for seeing us getting with them anytime, you know, soon in the summer. Um, I think when, by the time we get to them, they'll be full gone, full blown into the um, strength and conditioning program. So, um, you know, it, it, that's probably something way down the road. We're not even um, really have talked about that much. Good stuff. Mike Bellamy, appreciate your time as always. Hope to see you soon. All right. See you all as well. Have a great Memorial weekend. You too. Mike Bellamy, running backs coach for the Fighting Illini football team at 10.42. We'll take a break. Laura and I will be back to talk some baseball after this. Stay with us. Back in just a moment. Heading down the stretch here on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Phone line will be open here until shortly before 11. If you'd like to join us, 356-9397. Busy morning going down memory lane. Let's talk some baseball, and hopefully baseball is more than a memory. It'll come back at some point. Big meeting on, I mean, I don't know if it's a meeting, big decisions we've made on Tuesday of this coming week. 
uh, in baseball as to whether they can reach an accommodation on the salaries. That's going to be the, the, the sticking point. It, they can overcome nearly everything, but the salaries, I don't know how, how they're ever going to agree to them because the players want more money than the, than the owners want to give. Well, didn't the players already agree yeah. to a prorated yeah. deal? But that's all up in the air now. Well, because uh, they, you know, the owners are saying, well, you know, we're missing half the season, therefore half the salaries need to be reduced. I mean, half eliminated. But now you've got a, the, the second half of the season without fans, which how much do you then are going to lose without fans? Or if you only allow minimal number of fans? I mean, it's, anyway, I, I think uh, ever since. Uh, the last two weeks, we've been kind of alerted to this by the comments by Snell, who uh, the left-hander for the Rays, who uh, said, you know, I want mine. Well, he's not going to get mine. Mine is not available anymore. <laughs> and he's talking about a $50 million well, contract. Well, he's not going to get any sympathy either from baseball fans, and it's going to well, really, really look bad on the players yeah, if, bad this optics. if this does not happen because of that. Yeah. But, you know, uh, the owners... They need to make a special one-year, one-half-a-season deal, whatever it yep. is. Yep. And then go back to normal next year if they can. That's right. I agree with you. But they're taking the chance. The owners aren't taking any chance. The, owners, the players say we're taking the chance of getting the virus if we play. And the owners don't have to worry about that part of it. And the other thing is the equity of the owners has gone up so much in recent years that even though... They have cash flow problems, and they do have cash flow problems. When you've got a Chicago Cub operation that's now worth $3.2 million, billion, $3.2 billion, just think of what that means for the owner. I mean, you can borrow against that and get by for a few years. My thoughts to the players is get a real job, you know? <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're overpaid. It, and I get it. If you can get it, get it. But it, these are different... Uh, different times, and it, you got to what? What's the unemployment uh, percentage now? Twenty-eight, thirty uh, percent around the country. It's. it's I, I think they'll lose some fans as they did back in. Oh, the, well, they'll lose a lot of fans if they don't if they don't have because then you'll know that it was the inability to reach an, a, a salary agreement is what prevented it because they have got everything else. I don't want to say taken care of, but they have a plan, and it would uh, begin with practices in June and playing on the 4th of July. I mean, that's the goal. I thought we might hear from Marty on this. Marty down in South Carolina. Hey, Marty, or North Carolina, what's going on? Steve, what would make you think that I, w I would have something to say on this? I, you know, I've been doing this a while. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, good show, good people, good thinking about Jerry Sloan and, and Tony. I mean, um, Blake Schnell, uh, nice left-hander, Cy Young a couple years ago. I would say this to him. Uh, Tampa Bay won more games last year, and he didn't pitch hardly at all until the very, very end of the season. So they'll be fine with or without him. And he ought to stick his finger uh, in a big pool of water and pull it out and see how long the ripples last. Uh it's a, it's a tough situation. I would like to see owners and players play for the sake of the country, do something for the sake of the country, because they both make millions and billions during the other, the rest of their seasons. This is one to get what you 
is enough to live on just like you're an average Joe for a change. And uh, then maybe you'd appreciate all that money that's been flowing in. Because when I was a kid, players had to have jobs in the offseason to make ends meet. I mean, these guys. They don't want to hear that. Don't you know that, Marty? They don't want to hear that. I know they don't want to hear it, Norm, but sometimes history is a good teacher. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Kurt, Kurt Flood gave up his career to make an opportunity for these guys. I mean, he gave up some of the best years of his career, and he died in some ways a broken man in some ways. And maybe they ought to just remember that sometimes doing things for the good of others is worthwhile. You know? Just kind of the way I am, Lauren. I'm kind of – I'm not – maybe I'm not as old as you, but I might be as old-fashioned. <laughs> okay? Okay. Hey, uh, um, I don't like – and I've listened to you guys for several years on the DH, and this is just a precursor to it, and I don't like it at all. I know it's inevitable and all that. But I, I do wish they maybe, – maybe instead of going to all DH, they ought to go to all pitchers hit for a change and see how that works and if it speeds the game up or not. So just just a thought. No, it's not going to happen. I know. Yeah, it's going to be all DH this year, and maybe for the for I the know. future. I know, and I do not like that. I don't. I understand what they're saying. The reason is, but that's horse crap. It really is. Got pitchers can hit. Tell you what, Fergie Jenkins and Bob Gibson used to be dangerous hitters. You know, there were other guys like that. So, yeah, but they hit all I, their lives. The pitchers today are not hitting all their lives. I know, and I blame that on, you know, I just blame that on the game taking the easy way out and trying to specialize people way too much. And how how much longer are pitchers pitching now on average? How much longer are their elbows lasting? You know, pitching less I, I and less think, and less and less. Yeah. And how much, you know, you don't get that big contract till you, unless you're really, really special until you've been in the game six years. you think uh, uh, Reyes is going to ever make a big contract with the Cardinals that was going to be the wonderkind after he got injured and injured again? He's never going to have six years of service to ever get a contract if he does get things straightened out. So, Well, we can you know, hope. Just a thought. <laughs> yeah, you can, you can always hope. But, again, I'm almost as old-fashioned as you, Lauren. I, just, I think sometimes these guys – they're going to look back on this era of just throwing guys out there at 100 million miles an hour until their arms blow out, and someday the players are going to figure out that might not have been in their best interest. Maybe. All right, you guys make it a great one. Okay, Marty, thanks. Appreciate the call. 356-9397 if you want to jump in there. There's also been some talk about, you know, if they do play an 82-game schedule, what happens if somebody hits 400? Oh, well. <laughs> This, uh, it'll be an asterisk by it. That's Maybe not. I mean, I think everybody's going to realize that whatever the season is, 2020 is going to be an unusual season. And uh, I think if it happens, it happens. I think you're correct. It's going to be unusual. <laughs> but they, they can get the 82 games in and then get the playoffs in, and, and uh, hopefully they can do it. The thing they have to be prepared for is the same thing that, the, that we mentioned for the colleges. There will be positives. You can't stop just because there's a positive test. You can't. I mean – because we, you know what's going to happen. You just can't let that throw you for a loop. You have to make every imaginable, you know, uh, case. But you, you just, uh, you can't, you, you have to be ready for the, for the bumps in the road. We were talking to Tom Ackerman on this show last week, and we commented about how much we look forward to talking about X's and O's, so to speak, and game action and what happened last night and who's pitching today and what college football team will be ranked in the 
top 10 and where does Illinois rank in the, the Big Ten uh, preseason polls? It'll be fun to do that again. Everybody's anxious for that to happen. Yeah, well, I, I, when you start talking about polls, I, I, I saw that basketball poll on, uh, put out by the Athletic the other day, and, and Illinois is like in basketball – uh, ranked uh, like tenth uh, or eleventh, which shocked me. I mean, they're behind Purdue. They're behind a lot of teams that they finished ahead of this year, and they should be even better next year. We would hope. Although, without, I mean, I'm anticipating There's too many question marks, right? At, right. At I mean, moment. right. Right now, you don't know, you know, who's going to be back and who isn't. I asked you about Wesson, uh, you know, off the air. Uh, both Wessons uh, have hired a, an attorney and an agent, but uh, Caleb Wesson could come back. He's a, he's a junior. He'll mm-hmm. be a senior. And he, he makes all the difference for Ohio State basketball team. If he's their center, he, they're a better team than if, if he's not there. And Illinois is a better team if Kofi's there. But, and the outside chance that, that Iowa's there, they're a much better team. Sure. I mean, if, if, if Iowa came back with the people that they've got returning, wouldn't Illinois, Illinois finish one game out of first place this year? Yeah. Wouldn't they be a contender for the championship? Wouldn't they be a contender at least? I think so, although everybody's saying, you know, with Langford coming back to Michigan State, that Michigan State will be number one again, and I don't doubt it. But uh, nevertheless, Illinois will be a heck of a team. And I, I, but, but to go ahead and try to – when you've got transfers unsettled and you've got so many uncertainties about the draft, how can you hope to pick teams – just this week, uh, Georgetown lost their best player, McClung. He's going to go. He's going to play for somebody. He's going to make somebody better. Some team is going to be a whole lot better when they get McClung. He is really good. And by <laughs> yeah. the way, Patrick Ewing's got just tested positive. Yeah, and McClung had a great game uh, against uh, Illinois at the State Farm Center. Yeah, as a freshman. Yeah, early in the season, that was one yeah. of his. Well, he, he's in the transfer portal now, and anybody could take him. I mean, he can play for anybody. Yeah. 10.55, we'll take our final break and be back with some final words on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk in just a moment. 10.57, about three minutes left on this edition of Steve. What's on my mind? Golf. <laughs> Does that surprise you? What time are you teeing off I'm today? not playing today. Okay. Foursome's coming next Friday. Foursome's Friday. There's, they're still waiting. Haircuts Friday? Haircuts Foursomes in golf. Ed Bond needs a haircut. Some restaurants opening up uh, with outside seating. And that's yeah. all coming up as well. But if you've got nothing but a sidewalk out front, you can't, you can't put them on the sidewalk. Mike Walner tells me that. You've got to have room besides the sidewalk. Mike Walner at the U of I golf course tells me that the new regulations, if you will, are yet to be sent out by the state on the golf. But he'll get those tomorrow. But it's pretty much... We pretty much know what's happening there. Foursomes will be allowed. Carts will be allowed. Single rider carts. And uh, what's uh, maybe 10 minutes between tee-offs instead of 15? Yep. That's, that's probably how it's going to go. So that'll speed things up a little bit and um, get more players back out if you're a, a fan of golf. So kind of coming back into some form of normalcy. It's still... Um, Puts outings and things like leagues a little bit behind the eight ball because with most outings, all outings virtually, they they use what's called a shotgun start where everybody starts at the same time. They can't do that. They, they don't want people congregating because, as you know, in a shotgun start, everybody is right next to everybody in all the carts when they go. And then they 
Then they go. Well, they could send them out. And then they all get done at the same time. You send them out one at a time. Well, you could, or you could do tea times on, on leagues and things like that. But uh, it's better. It will be next Friday better than it has been for the last month, which was better than it was the previous month. So, at least we're moving on down the line. That's going to take care of things. Busy morning. We had Kent Brown to talk about several things with us. Ashton Washington from the Illinois football staff. Mark Coombs. Bill Small. Orlando Antigua, Mike Bellamy. We also heard comments from Bobby Roundtree as well. We appreciate your calls. We'll be back with you a week from today on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Thanks to uh, Blake Landa for his help in the other room. Lauren, we'll talk to you soon, my friend. Thanks, Steve. On WDWS, Champaign-Urbana, Steve Kelly for everybody. Have a good weekend.